This morning we looked at the story of when Jesus uh, calmed the storm. It's a story we love, isn't it? Yep, uh, incredibly strong winds. Uh, the disciples had got in the boat, they'd crossed the lake and they'd caught a very wild storm. And uh, with just a few words, well in Greek too, Jesus calmed the storm completely. And uh, we found this morning that he was sovereign over creation. The word sovereign, if you said King Charles was sovereign over us, uh, it means he's the king of Australia, therefore he's the king of St George. And he's the king of us, except for his sovereignty doesn't really affect our lives a whole lot. I don't know if you've noticed you don't, haven't noticed him interfering or telling you anything lately? No. no. Uh, he, he's sovereign in, in, in a sense, but his rule is a bit different than God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty extends over all things. I doubt that um, King Charles could calm the sea. In fact, I'm sure he can't. Um, and, uh, but God, or in this case, Jesus, is found to be sovereign over the very ocean. That's incredible, isn't it? And tonight we continue on a bit with that and we're going to read Mark 6, verse 45. But I just want you to notice one thing. It's, it kind of comes into it. He had just fed the 5,000. This comes immediately after feeding the 5,000. Okay. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. To Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mount, went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but they saw him walking on the sea. They thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Hmm. Okay, so Jesus, he does a funny thing after the five, feeding the 5,000. You can imagine that after Jesus had taught the people and he'd fed 5,000 people with almost nothing, that there was a bit of excitement going on. Here's a man who can make food appear out of nowhere. I'm sure that if someone did that in St George and the whole town were gathered there, which is only 2,500 people, if they all gathered, there would be a bit of murmuring, a bit of excitement. Here's someone who is, someone who is going to do something very different for us. And, and then it says, Jesus said to the disciples, you've got to all get in the boat and get, get out of here and I'm going to dismiss the crowd in the evening. Now, it doesn't say why that it is there, but um, a, a number of people think, and it seems to be, that the crowd more and more 
were wanting to make Jesus king right there and then. Because he is a guy who heals us, he raises the dead, he's already calmed the sea, he, uh, he casts out demons. Let's make him king right here and there, right here and now. Let's do that. And the disciples also very much getting caught up in that same kind of excitement. And so Jesus, knowing what's going on, pushes them off uh, and he um, goes up a hill then to pray on his own. And that happens three times in Mark's Gospel. Once, uh, at first, when Jesus, in, in chapter 1, he drives out lots and lots of demons, he heals lots of people and everybody again is filled with that same excitement and he goes up the hill to pray. On his own. It happens now, and the third time is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just after he's really had the triumphal entry, and everyone's a, there's a big stirring in Jerusalem. Is he going to be the king that's going to appear and do everything that we want? Each time he goes and prays. And um, if, you, if you think about that, there's, when... Um, the devil first came to Jesus to tempt him. He said, you know, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. All of the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you everything this world has to offer. And when um, Jesus had just healed and cast out demons and shown his power, like, hey, you can be king right now. And just fed 5,000 and, they, and they're glorifying you. You can be king right now. And you've just had this triumphal entry. You can be king right now. And each time Jesus responds in the same way, he, he goes and prays to the Father on his own. When this world's glory crowds in on us, when it seeks to change the will of God to what we want and, what, and, and our own personal glory... And um, whenever it seems that we don't want to be the creature of the creator and we don't want to be the, the children of the father and we don't want to be the subjects of the king, you understand, we want to do it our way, that glory can take hold of us. And when, it, and when Jesus was tempted with that, he went and prayed. And I doubt that his prayer in the garden, your, not my will but yours be done, or... What, what is being tempted, what I'm being tempted with, let me not do that. I doubt that was the first time that happened. Do you understand that temptation come to Jesus again and again? After the devil finished uh, tempting Jesus, we're told in, in Luke 4, um, the devil went away and looked for an opportune time to tempt him again. Okay, So he, he keep, kept bringing that. But Jesus again and again come back to the Father's will. I will submit myself to the Father. I mean, I, I can make a lesson in this. We're not very good at this. <laughs> we love this world's glory, don't we? And we're always getting swamped by it. And uh, we are just blessed that we have Jesus who never gave in on our behalf. It's not, we, we can't say, so be like Jesus and you'll overcome the devil. Well, no, be in Jesus who has overcome the devil. Do you understand that? Because we fail often and uh, we know that's the case. Anyway, that's just a, a note on the prayer. When evening came, the boat was out in the sea and he was alone on the land. 
you kind of get the picture that this was a night where the moon was out. There was a bit of light there that people could see. And in a minute we're going to be told it's the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3am and 6am. So these guys have been, firstly they started out with a nice gentle breeze, but in the, in the night up came a headwind. And they're rowing hard against a headwind across a lake which is about 10 kilometres by 20 kilometres. So it's a big lake. And if you're in the middle of a big lake, that's hard going. Yep. No one got any sleep this night. Did you notice that? Neither Jesus nor the disciples. But anyway, um, they're paddling into a headwind and he saw they were making headway painfully. Is that what? Uh, I'm up to verse 48 of chapter 6. Okay. And um, for the wind was against them. I don't know. Have you ever rowed a boat into a headwind? You can get there, but it's hard work. And it says, it's got this strange thing, he meant to pass them by. Now, the Greek there can simply mean uh, he intended to pass their way. It was his will to go past where they were. Uh, He saw them struggling in the wind and he he wanted to help them. And and, and I I think, I I want to read apart from Job, Job uh, 9, you don't have to get that one up, but just a couple of verses uh, from chapter 9. Because, and I'll come back to it later. But it says, He alone stretches out the head, heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He perform one, performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Now, here you've got this picture of, it's kind of like God walking across the sea. And, and I guess it, the kind of the picture is in the Psalms, it's kind of like you can picture God walking over the seas. He's the God of all. He stands above all. I don't think they quite pictured as here's a man walking on the sea. And they didn't recognise him either. Uh, they couldn't perceive who he was. They thought he was a ghost. Uh, the Greek word for ghost is phantasm, like something fantastic or... A fantasy, perhaps. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. Now, there was lots of rumours of, you know, ghostly gods who were in the waters and, and, you know, things like that. You know, in a spiritual world, they had all these beliefs. And so seeing, when you see someone walking across the water, you don't naturally think, oh, there's Jesus. In the night time, that's not it. Especially you've got the moonlight. That's, it's not the first thought that comes to mind, is it? I, I just say this because I don't think the disciples were dumb. And Jesus was walking on the sea. You've got to say, how does that work? And, and um, I don't know. How does it feel? Mm, I don't know. How does it feel to walk on the sea? I mean... If, if Jesus was in violation of a number of laws of nature right there, wasn't he? Gravity, surface tension, a whole lot of laws that stand, and, uh, but they don't stand with him. He breaks those laws. How, how does he walk on the wave? We don't see him. The disciples could see him in the moonlight and they were terrified because, again, you don't see someone in the middle of a lake in the middle of the night wandering along. 
Have, I don't know. Have you ever done this? And I know, I, I remember at one point, I wouldn't have a clue. Stood on the edge of a pool. A pool, sorry. We're in, we're in New South Wales. We're in, what are we in New, Queensland. Um, and just thought, you know, I wonder what it would be like. You ever, you ever done that? I mean, I, I've tried it and I always sing. <laughs> but really? Put up your... Yep. What would it be like to step on the water? No. Thanks for honesty. So <laughs> um, well, if I... I tell you, me doing that, it's a fantasy, actually. But with Jesus, who is the Son of God, it is possible. And if you actually look through Scripture, you find that the laws of nature were created by God. When he created, he didn't just make the stuff, he made the rules that the stuff lived by. True? And, And right through Scripture, have you ever thought about the time the sun stops in the sky for a couple of hours? In, in, in when they're having a war, and I think it's in Kings. Do you know what's got to happen for this? Because you said the sun doesn't actually move, does it? The earth spins. And if the sun stays still in the sky, and, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on that's got to happen for that to happen, isn't there? And that's impossible, except for, for God, who knows how it all works, and he can make every... He holds everything together... He, he, he holds the, the laws of nature in his hand and he has the right to break what we call the laws of nature because they're not his. He's not bound by them. He created everything. He, uh, you remember in Elijah's time where the axe head floats, a piece of steel floats on top of the water. Right? How does that work? Again, we've seen dead people coming alive. We've seen people healed. That's not the way it happens. On the cross, the sun went dark for three hours. It didn't say the clouds came over. The sun just went dark. God, uh, that, that's a very few examples. There's lots more in scripture. God is free to break the rules of how things normally work. He, he's in control of those. He made them. They are in his hands. He is in control. So he is authoritative over nature. You can see it. He's walking on water. He is all-powerful, and yet in his words we see why he's walking past them in the night. Immediately he spoke to them and he said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I. Actually, be of good cheer or take heart, I am. I am. You know where I am? was how God introduced himself to Moses in, in Exodus chapter 3. I am who I am. And then he said, from now on you will call me Yahweh. And if you read the footnote then it will say, Yahweh sounds like I am. I am who I am. I always have been. I always will be. I am the timeless God of all. Now, again, that is what God is. And here is Jesus, not the only time, he says it many times, I am. What's he saying here? I am am God. He's the son of God and everything you know of God you can see in the person of Jesus. Remember he says in John 8, he says to the um, Pharisees, before Abraham was, before Abraham lived, which was 2,000 years before Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah? And he says, I am the way, 
the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread from heaven. Yeah, all those I am. In every case, what's he saying? I am the son of God. Okay. Um, sometimes uh, in, in, in some modern theologies, people have this idea that on Jesus, when Jesus was on earth, yes, he was a man, but he was not God. Uh, he was God. He said, I am. He was fully God and fully human in one man. Uh, it's, it's beyond our understanding, and yet it's incredibly comforting for us to know that. Okay, Psalm 118 says, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought, brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, and I will not be afraid. The Lord is with me, and I will not be afraid. Again and again in Scripture, where are our fears allayed? Taken away. Our fears are taken away, not by the fact that God takes away the threat, but because he's with us. When you walk through the waters, I will be there. And and through the flames. He's not saying, when you walk through the waters, because the waters is often a calamity, that's how it's described, a hardship and impossibility. When you walk through them, I'll take that calamity away. No, he didn't say that. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. That's what he says. Fear not, for I am with you. The comfort comes because he is with us. He is Emmanuel. Sorry, Emmanuel. God with us. Okay. Do you know he's with you? Do you know he's with you all the time? Does that make a difference when you face things? You can turn to him because he will never leave you. He is always with you. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded okay it's three to six just say it's four in the morning it's somewhere between three and six they didn't start off into a headwind but they have been going throughout the night rowing into a headwind for hours they are completely worn out yep have you ever you know in the middle of the night where when you're working, everything you do is so much harder. Your muscles just ache. But, but it's, uh... And he got into the boat and the wind ceased. Could have come earlier, but uh, <laughs> no. He had to pray for, what, nine hours before that happened, actually. So Jesus was praying for a long time. He got in the boat with them. The wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for the... For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they were astounded. I, I, I imagine they were astounded because the wind stopped, although they'd seen that before. They've got to be astounded because he walked on water. They hadn't seen that before. But what does it mean uh, their hearts were hardened? There's something a bit going on that they still don't get. They're not kind of drawing the line between he says I am, he's God. Not getting that. They're not getting, he's doing incredible miracles, he's God. Not getting that. Remember, we, we, that happens in chapter 8, a couple of chapters on, where Peter comes out and goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And they all go, oh, that's it. That's what we've been missing all along. He's the king and they haven't been understanding it. Right? So even now, 
seeing him walk on the water, they still don't get it. It's not that they've got a problem with their intellect. It's not that they're stupid. It's that they've got a problem with their faith. They haven't believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay. Throughout the Old Testament, God has spoken of it as the one who has control and power and authority over creation. Often the wind and the waves. It says that again and again. If you read the Psalms, he's the one who steals the waters or he's over the waves and, and, and he is the majestic, all-powerful God. We heard he's the one who treads on the sea. But they haven't understood that yet, that he is God with us. They haven't understand he is I am. Okay, so their hearts were hardened in that sense. They're still not getting it. Later they did, and we live in a place because of the power of the Holy Spirit where we can know Jesus, the Son of God. We can know him. And when we put our trust in him, we can know the God who created all. If, if, if you understand that he is the majestic, glorious, powerful authority of God who has power over all of creation and he's with us, what can we face that can destroy us? This morning we talked about, you know, uh, you know even if they kill your body, they can't harm your soul. Fear God. But you've got to listen to that sermon later. That's another sermon. <coughs> okay. So we get this revelation. Here is Jesus, all powerful. But there's another revelation here. It is of the humility of Jesus, the suffering servant. The one who, when faced with temptation, with glory, glories of this world, does not accept them, but he humbles himself to the Father's will, who takes the lowly position of a servant, giving himself up on a cross, for us hard-hearted people who don't get it. See, we've got, it's such a blessing that the Holy Spirit comes to us and reveals to us the truth of God. We can actually know him. We can know God. There's nothing better in this world than to know God. I did say this morning, sometimes uh, when people will say to me, yeah, yeah, I heard your sermon, but what does it mean for me? And that can be a question, it can be an okay question, but sometimes that question is, what have I got to do for myself? To, what have I heard that's going to bless me? Where's my blessing coming? Because I come to church for God to give me stuff and lift me up and feed me and blah, 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 blah. Sometimes the question you should ask is, what have you learned about God? What do you know about him? Not what's it for me? Because when you know God as God, when you know Jesus as God's son, when you know Jesus as also a man who suffered in that place, when you know all this, it, you don't need to worry about what does this mean for me. Like to go home and know him and to be able to love him and worship him for who he is truly is actually far more important. And to see he is the one who did not take glory for himself. He humbled himself and became servant even to death on a cross. Okay. Now, there's another thing in this which we've got to say about creation. Jesus has power over creation. And, you know, from the time sin entered the world, in one really, in, in a big sense, creation became hostile to man. 
and man hostile to creation too. Since sin came into the world, there have been floods. I've seen that. Uh, I'm not saying people in Victoria sinned and therefore God sent a flood. I'm talking about because sin came in the world in the beginning, the whole of creation became hostile to people. There have been natural events, natural disasters, cyclones, earthquakes, volcanoes, droughts, wild animals that seek to eat people and kill them. It, it's as though creation is, has actually become hostile to the people who were put there to subdue it. And they have um, become hostile to creation. Um, and yet, as Jesus walked and he got in the boat, it's like the storm calms. When Jesus spoke, the storm calms. As the king over creation approaches, everything is subdued and back into the order of the way it's supposed to be. It's a beautiful picture in the, uh, where he calms the storm where it says everything was calm. It's like there, at first there was waves breaking over the boat. The boat was filling with water. It was sinking and it says there was this gale of wind and then he spoke and there was peace. Can you imagine just instant flat seas? And you can hear the crickets chirping. Not that the crickets are in the water, but, uh, but instant peace. When Jesus comes near... Creation is kind of restored to the way it's supposed to be. Sick people are healed. Yeah? Dead people come to life. Unclean people are made clean. He changes things just by his very presence. He actually switches the kingdom to be what it was intended to be. And so, then some will say, well, that's right. So when we believe in Jesus, that's our role now and we'll be that to the world. But those same people don't seem to go to hospitals and heal everybody. <laughs> they don't go to the cemeteries and raise everybody. Because that's not quite where we're at. Okay? When Jesus returns, when Judgment Day has happened, when we receive our new bodies, when the whole creation is renewed, the new heavens and the new earth, there will be forever a peace between creation and humanity. Until that day, there will be this hostility. Do you understand? It's just going to be there. I'm not trying to make you all sad or give you a bad news message. It's just the way it's going to be. And um, a passage that speaks of that is Romans chapter 8, verse 19. And I know we've talked about it before, but in this sense, it's really important to see it. It says this, For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation, that's talking about the whole world, including the trees and the lakes and the wind and the volcanoes, are waiting eagerly for what? The children of God to be shown. The true children of God perfected. Humans are central to God's creation. The purpose for his creation is not creation. National parks are good so that people can go and enjoy them. Yep. Do you get what I mean? The, the, the problem with this world is not people. There's definitely a problem with sin. But it's those who trust in Jesus, those children, theirs will be the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. For creation was subjected to frustration, 
Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Who was the one who subjected it to frustration? This hostility was God, wasn't it? As a punishment for sin. God, it was necessary for us to be able to trust in him to have a hostile creation, to turn to him. You know, hardships that we hate. Every hardship is a time where we uh, turn to God again and we say, I need you. And when we don't have hardships, we kind of travel along and God's sort of, well, he's in the passenger seat, or maybe he's in the back, or maybe he's in the boot. Because we don't need him so much. Do you understand? But what a blessing through hardships where we are forced to turn to trust him, to look to him, to pray to him, who is with us all the time. Do you understand? He doesn't bring this frustration to crush us and destroy us, but for his children to give them hope. That's what it says, verse 20. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. You hear that? When the creation is ruled and subdued properly by non-sinful people, how can they not be sinful? Because Jesus has forgiven all their sins and they've got new bodies and they no longer have a sinful nature and they'll all be perfect. When that is the time, right, creation itself will be liberated from floods and disasters and earthquakes. It'll be set free. That's a good time. That's good to look forward to, isn't it? We long for that day. And the children of God will rule over creation as Adam and Eve were told to. Rule over creation under God. They said, we'll rule over creation, we'll be God. But under God, we will rule over creation. A time is coming when all who believe will enjoy a fully subdued creation. That calm, that peace, always over the whole earth. Without hostility. We look forward to that time, don't we? It's hard to understand what it'll be like, but it's coming. We know that the whole creation has been groaning right now, groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not just right up to the present time. Now, that's Paul talking well after the coming of the Holy Spirit, so that's the, it's the age we live in right now. Don't be surprised. When creation goes bad, do you know what? You are free not to be climate change deniers in light of this. Do you know? You don't have to deny it. Just know that it's in God's power. Just know that. He's the one who rules over it, but you don't have to deny it. It doesn't matter. It's kind of like that's almost become a tack on to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father and blah, 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 and that climate change isn't true. Otherwise, you're not a true Christian. You don't have to be that. Because if God wants the temperature to rise, it'll rise. He's in control of it. Do you understand that? Yep. Why do we live in a frustrated creation? Because it causes us to look up. Our redemption draws near. Now, what I'm saying, therefore, is that the answer to climate change is not a carbon tax. (laughs) The answer to climate change is to look up and see your redemption drawing near. To look to Jesus and know, yes, this is what will happen. Submit to him 
Trust in Jesus for our salvation. Look to his eternal plan and his eternal life without uh, the limit of the hostility of this, of this world over us. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, so those who have received the Holy Spirit, groan inwardly as we await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We long not only for the creation to be made new, but us to be made new too. And by faith, it will come. It will happen anyway, but by faith, we live in all the blessings of receiving it. He's our hope, he's our future. Now, I know I've taken a big jump here, but you see, when Jesus calms the water and Jesus calms the storm and Jesus heals the sick and when Jesus raises the dead and all of that, all of that is a picture not of how it can be if we are all little Jesuses running around doing that. It's a picture of what it will be like in the new heavens and the new earth when all things are made new. And as interesting, we might be able to walk on water then too. I don't know. Be worth a bash, eh? And if we sink, the water will be nice. But understand, this is Jesus, the Son of God. And we need that revelation as the disciples needed to come to it too. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray uh, that you would make sense of this in our minds, that you would give us a hope that goes beyond the things of this world. As we're constantly uh, tempted to let the glory of this world and the successes of this world and the things of this world to become the most important, I pray that we would look to you and submit to your will. And that we would see Jesus, your son, who died for us, who humbled himself, himself and became a servant for all of us. And Father, that we would be content in all that we face and in all that this planet faces, even when it affects us seriously, that we would know that our hope comes in the kingdom that you're building and that you ultimately will bring at the return of your son Jesus. Pray that you would give us faith to understand this and faith to live in it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.